0: hub and spoke. Audio Collective. Mementos. Sometimes what you really keep is on the inside.
1: John's car was this absolute Goliath of sound that was just the stuff of legend around town. He had this black Honda Civic with tinted out windows and a flip out screen with touch buttons on it 20 something years ago. You know, he had a VCR under the seat full of episodes of The Simpsons. It was state of the art for the late 90s. We met at the bottom of the driveway at the goodbye party for my friend whose mother just passed away. And um, he had a bottle of uh, Captain Morgan's and a bottle of uh, Coca-Cola. And um, he poured me a drink, whatever, and then we got in his car and drove. And I I had never been in a car that had speakers like this before, but he had this thing loud. And we were tearing down crazy back roads, and he put on loud, aggressive music, this blare in this stuff. And it was like the most cathartic, just violent music I'd ever heard. I look back at it now and I laugh at it, but when you're 15 years old, it's speaking your language, man.
0: Welcome back to Mementos. I'm Lori Mortimer. My guest Jeff keeps a memento from a gathering after his best friend's funeral in 2002. I talked to him twice about it, and the longer we talked, the more I realized there was something else that's sort of like a memento but isn't a physical object that reminds him of his friend. It's more like a legacy or a seed that was planted and took root. And what you'll find in this story is there's no separating the physical memento from what Jeff might call the more ethereal one. The two stories go together. So get ready and channel your teenage self, the friends, the parties, the unwritten futures, and all those young, intense emotions.
1: My name is Jeff Aylward. I'm from Connecticut. I'm here to talk about a Captain Morgan's bottle that is from the day of my best friend's funeral. His name was John Dennis. He was the person that was my introduction to what I consider good music and um, really changed my life for the better. So when I met John, um, we were both Uh, at very different low points in our life. And um, that kind of helped us to be friends. Uh, Like my best friend at the time, his mother passed away very young. She was like, I think 45. He just called me one day and said she was gone. And within a week from that, he had to move out to Detroit. And John's father had just shot himself in the head and survived. Not only that, but John had found him. Our common ground was just this perceived unfairness. It kept us at the same frequency of vibration. Um, It was nice to have kind of a partner in that way. And that's not something you can really manifest. That's just luck. Johnny was a real character. Everybody loved this dude. For me personally, it was the warmth of how much that dude loved me. I used to sneak out of the house almost every night and he'd pick me up and we would go hang out at wherever he lived at that point. You know, we used to sit uh, for a long time where no one would bother us and just drink Coors Light and argue about music. He really helped me gain a lot of confidence because he was so sure about me. He taught me to celebrate parts of myself that I didn't really know were extraordinary. Um, You know, he always telling me about how smart I was, and he was just warm. I'm very much the product of a man of Boston. My father's oldest of like seven kids. Um, and just, we, we're not a hugging family. You know, we're just not. And I, I'll be damned if, if that guy, every time I left, wouldn't force me to hug him, uncomfortably so. <laughs> he was a story-worthy guy. I mean, this guy did things that... I, people just wouldn't believe if I told him. I mean, he, he literally stole a keg from a liquor store once. Full keg. Just ran out and was yelling at my friend Conlon, go, go, turn that shit on! Like a full keg is a hard thing for a man to carry, let alone run, <laughs> you know? He did shit like that. I started DJing in the late 90s. I got into it with John and um, just kind of fell in love with the music slowly and discovered this whole uh, underground scene. He got me into a music called Trance. It's basically dance music. The irony being like, I've never been much of a dancer. I was more drawn to um, the ethereal side to it at first. You know, it was very just deep and involving and wordless. So it was stuff that I listened to for the first time in my life without being told what to feel about it. It'll have these long breaks where there is no beat and you'll get these kind of wavy, floaty, long sections that are almost orchestral. And it can be very beautiful that's what I was drawn to and then as I got better at it um, the the bones of music became more visible to me you know as far as like timing like is it a 4-4 four, four? is it a 3-4 I learned like what a waltz is like that kind of stuff I mean it sounds so simple now but like no one taught us any of this stuff I mean this is all we were all self-taught how this music works and how the DJing process works is just kind of subconsciously creating these peaks and valleys for people to enjoy. You're kind of creating this never ending ebb and flow of crescendo and then descent. And it wasn't so much about making a room dance or anything like that. For us, it was about like, I like these songs. How can I make them go together?
0: Jeff and John spent most of their time together listening to music, going to raves, and DJing at house parties for friends. Music was the bedrock of their relationship.
1: Uh, what happened to John? Well, when John's car got stolen, it was kind of the beginning of things getting really rough for him. His dad never told him that the insurance had lapsed on it, so it was just gone. It was no getting it back. He worked at a company called Tweeter.
0: That's Tweeter, not Twitter. Tweeter was a stereo company. And that explains why John had such a legendary car.
1: And he was the number one salesman in the country. The guy that was number two had less than half of his sales.
0: About the time John's car was stolen, his manager at Tweeter started cracking down on people showing up late to work.
1: He was pointed out like, you know, I don't even care if you're John Dennis, if you're late to the next meeting, you're going to be fired. So his dad let him use this Mitsubishi Gallant that was a five speed and John didn't know how to drive stick. So he made it to the meeting, but he was late and he got fired. That job meant everything to him. It was really a point of pride for him. So losing that car and the job um, just kind of gutted him.
0: Another thing Jeff and John had in common was they liked to party.
1: We got into drugs a little bit. This all kind of started around the same time that the pills and opioid epidemic came around in this part of the world. I didn't know at the time, but he started doing a little bit of heroin. I don't know who gave him the heroin, but um, he was sneaking stuff. He was hiding stuff from all of us, and it killed him.
0: John died in December 2002, about four years after he and Jeff met at the bottom of that driveway. He was 22.
1: Uh, the funeral. Um, I was a pallbearer. Um, the only time I've ever done it. I remember that we all sang, You're My Sunshine. And his mom made this noise that only a mother that lost her son could make. It still fucked me up, honestly. It uh, It was hard to hear. After the funeral, my mom decided that we should have people over to the house. And um, she went to the liquor store for us, <laughs> which was a gray legal area. But one of the things we got was a uh, one point seven five bottle of Captain Morgan's
0: Captain Morgan rum, the drink John shared with Jeff the night they met.
1: You know, like I'm, I'm, I'm very Celtic, and that's that's how you send your friends off. You get together, and you know, you you let the, the the sadness and the happiness just mix together with whatever booze you have ar- available. Uh, I'm actually sitting in the room where a lot of memories uh, from that day had happened. And I was sitting in this old brown recliner that was in this house for God knows how long. And the light source right here is like a a ceiling lamp that has this curvature to it, these little spokes to it. And there was two roses from the casket that were kind of crossed there. And I remember looking up there and looking around and seeing all these different people and thinking to myself, this is probably the last time these people are going to be under the same roof.
0: Somehow Jeff has managed to hold on to that rum bottle all these years.
1: It's empty. I got it right here. It has no value outside of what I set to it. This is a memory. It's from that day. And being here at the house with everybody that's a that's a good memory. If he had to go, then this was a great transfer of energy. Johnny was just old enough. Compared to me, that I idolized this guy. I was young, and he was strong and successful. I mean, I carried that around with me for a long time. You know, this, this missing piece of everything I looked at, because this person who was such a cornerstone to my personality had vanished. You know, you you don't really heal. You don't really you don't get over things. You kind of just. Learn to live with it, like like a tree growing around something.
0: And one of the ways Jeff kept growing was through music and DJing.
1: I think what kept me in it after John passed was the idea of maintaining a legacy for him that, you know, I wanted to get good at this and improve for him because that's what we did together. I've gotten quite good at it. Um, I've been doing it professionally since 2006. I've traveled a bit for it, met a lot of great people. It's kind of became the the backdrop to my social life. Most people that I know don't even know my real name. Um, They just know kind of my stage presence and my stage name. When the pandemic started, it was the first time I think in far too long that like I, I sat back and kind of took, took stock of my life and started looking around and, and seeing what I had accomplished versus what I had missed. And I decided to dial it down a little bit. I don't want to be in airports and in clubs and warehouses and into my mid-40s. I don't want to do that. I'm currently doing very well at my job and I'm in school for computer science. So really growing in that part of my life, which I feel like I'm kind of catching up I'm 38 now, so a lot of my friends are already, like, way ahead of me, like, you know, married and divorced already. But there will always be the part that is my childhood, which is me and John. I've kind of been going back and finding some of the songs that we couldn't find back then.
0: Remember, this is underground music. The songs weren't distributed the way most music was. The guys would hear a song at a rave or on a mixtape, and then they'd have to track it down. Back in the day, they were always trying to find songs they'd heard and that they wanted to experiment with. And they were doing it without the internet.
1: Now it's a little bit easier to go find these things, so I'm finding songs that I just wanted to hear again from 20 years ago. I think I'm trying to fill out some kind of collection and not close the door, but complete that chapter musically, you know? Do the things that kind of let me turn my head around and nod to 19-year-old me and 22-year-old him and go, you know, check this out. I did it.
0: There's certainly some nostalgia there. But the music connection to John keeps ebbing and flowing as Jeff continues to grow and change. The Captain Morgan bottle is a little different, though. The
1: bottle is important. It's got a lot more in it than I think I can explain. It is definitely the only thing I have from that day that I know is from that day. You know, the, the roses and the light have long wilted. You know, um, the people in my life that were here that day, most of them, um, I don't, I don't see anymore. But that's that's frozen in time. It's an artifact. We had a conversation one night about when we grew up. Uh, my kids and his kids were going to beat up our other friends' kids. <laughs> um, we're joking around about that. And I, I said to him that there's going to be a day we don't hang out anymore. And whenever that happens, just know that I love you to death, man. And uh, hey man, he looked right at me and said, these are the good old days in the making.
0: Thank you, Jeff, for telling us your story. By the way, Jeff's professional DJ name is Ellsworth. This episode was written, sound designed, and produced by me, Laurie Mortimer, with feedback and moral support from the nerds at the Pod Prod and the nerd in my house at Steve. One thing you can do for me this week is to make one social media post about your favorite Mementos episode so far this season. Remember, personal recommendations are the best way to get more listeners for the show. Thanks. Music on this episode is by Free Trance Recordings, Prigione Eterna, and Luperman. All are used under a Creative Commons license. And I'd like to wish a happy Thanksgiving to all my listeners in the U.S., I wish you safe travels and all the pie you can stand. I'll be back the week of December 13th with a new episode. Ciao.